Live from Southern California, this is the Jim Rome Show. Let's start with arrogance. And and I joke to a degree, I guess I'm not really joking, that people think that humility is good for me. And this show always does it. Every single time I fill in on the Jim Rome Show, I go home, I take a really deep breath, I look in the mirror and remind myself there are people that like me, and then I I read your mentions. And it's good for me, it's good for me, because arrogance is a problem. And once you think you've made it, once you think you live on whatever fleeting, fake, or real success in the past, once you're comfortable, you're done. It's over. You're finished. And that brings us to case in point for the incompetence and the ugliness and the annoying shock of the Yankees' reality to Yankees fans and the not-so-shocking Yankees' reality to the rest of us. The fact that I have to sit on the most important sports media show in the world and open with the Yankees because a bunch of people don't understand these guys are a bunch of bums and have been for a while drives me crazy. By the way, it's not just the Yankees' fault. Or friends of mine like James Ward, who I used to work with, who's the nicest person I've ever met until we talk baseball. And then I get to hear about the Yankees have won the last 11 World Series, even though they haven't, but I don't understand the physics of what is being explained to me. It's not just those guys. The so-called worldwide whatever leader folks up in Bristol shoving that down our throat. And frankly, maybe not this, not CBS Sports Radio, of course, but some national sports networks talking Yankees all the time. Well, let's talk about them in a real, honest, true way. And hope, at least for me, this is the last time I have to talk about the Yankees in any serious tone for a really long time. Whether it's here when I fill in, which I love to do, or my show, which is just before Jim's on CBS Sports Radio. Here are some, some fun facts about the Yankees who are now 60 and 64. They have been swept again by the Red Sox. They are 1-8 against Boston this year. Now, you know this because you're a sports fan, you're watching the Jim Rome Show on CBS Sports Network, or you're listening on CBS Sports Radio, but this would be like Michigan under Harbaugh or anyone else losing again and again and again and again and again to Ohio State and pretending it's okay. Oh, we're really the, we're the kings of the Big Ten. No, you're not, man. you got to beat your rival. But, but this is baseball, bigger sample size. So here's another one for you. The Yankees, and this is part of the reason they don't understand the danger they've gotten themselves in. Former glory can turn to mediocrity, and you cannot be able to distinguish between the two until it's too late, which is where we are. Because it is a Yankees organization that hasn't finished last in this division since 1990. Now, I'm not good at math, but I'm assuming Jack wasn't even alive then, and his mustache wasn't even a thought in his father's brain. That's a young guy, right? Good for that guy. Right now, the Yankees are in last, as you probably know, in their division. By the way, the Red Sox aren't that good. The Red Sox are dominating the Yankees, and they're the second-to-worst team in the division, but they're up six with 38 games remaining. New York's going to finish last. It's a perfect, on-paper, look-at-the-standings symbolism for where this team is. Here's a little perspective for you. When Shohei Otani was four years old, the guy that everyone's going to covet at the end of this regular season. When Shohei was not even forming his perspective and opinion on baseball teams, Brian Cashman was made the general manager of the New York Yankees. It feels like it was 1937, doesn't it, Yankees fans? It wasn't. It was the late 90s. And he had a good run. Won some World Series, did some good things, got that glory, got that resume, got in good with an ownership group, now obviously under Hal Steinbrenner, that had their own intoxication of arrogance. But that's a long time ago. When Shoyotani was eight or nine years old, 
and really probably starting to think maybe about baseball. I'm not sure if he was paying attention to baseball in America. If he had started to watch at that point on, the Yankees would have won only two World Series over that stretch. They haven't been in a World Series in almost 15 years, since 2009. Think about the way the game has passed this organization by. And still, Brian Cashman hangs on. And this isn't a just pick on the GM of the Yankees because it's not his fault that he's been given a job again and again and again and again. He can no longer do well. Look, some of you think I'm not even good at this. Now, I like to think I'm okay at it because I'm sitting here. But I'm not a brain surgeon. I'm not, Well, brain surgeon's a bad one because people would suffer. Let me give you a better, better example. I'm not a chef. I'm not a great cook. But if Wolfgang, whatever his name is, or one of these fancy schmancy guys said, come and run my restaurant. Here's $3 million a year to, to live in Vegas. 10-year deal. People would eat badly at that restaurant. It would go out of business. The servers would lose their jobs. But, man, I'd be playing a lot of blackjack and a lot of craps and living life on, uh, high on the hog. I'm not mad at Brian Cashman, but this dude got a four-year extension last December in the offseason. Why? Because this is a team and an organization that doesn't get it, doesn't understand it, hasn't paid attention. I love baseball. And I criticize it sometimes out of love, right? The way that you do where you can criticize your family in a way other people can't, or you can criticize your religion in a way other people can you can criticize your kids in a way other people can't, though my daughter's 14, so I've learned, actually, you can't do that anymore either, so that kind of changes. I love baseball. But, because it, it does have a storied history, and it is a great game, and it is riveting, and when it's great, it is beautiful. But, man, it's easy for the sport, and the Yankees epitomize this, to look at their past, to look at what they've done, to look at their brand, to look at their Q rating, to look at those pinstripes, and to think the past guarantees the future. It doesn't. What it's guaranteed for the Yankees is nothing, is idiocy, is incompetence, is last place in a division with no real future. They don't have a plan. They don't have a guy that knows what he's doing. The Dodgers are the best-run organization in baseball that spend the kind of money the Yankees want to. Why did they go get 10 years ago Andrew Friedman out of Tampa Bay? Because they realized you got to have money and you got to be well run. The days of just buying your way to the promised land are over. Tampa Bay better run. Look, the Padres aren't, I'm not sure they're well run, but they've got more ambition than the Yankees. They might be making mistakes, but at least it's out of an understanding that the past doesn't dictate the future. Even the Orioles, and I know the Yankees can't go this route, but even Baltimore was like, okay, I guess we'll just tear it down, and eventually we'll be really, really good, and they're ahead of schedule. But some of the confidence has to be, and I mean this. They must have looked around and thought, all right, the Yankees are still run by Cashman. We'll rebuild for 421 years. He'll still be the GM. By that point, John Carlos Stanton will probably be, what, hitting under the Mendoza line? They'll have one good pitcher. The baseball will be uninspiring. Maybe the Red Sox will have like an off couple years like that. We should be good to go, and that's where we are. Passed them by. The game has passed them by. Look, I, I don't love the, the overabundant obsession with, with analytics. And there's certainly an arrogance of people who, who speak the numbers. But at least their arrogance comes from a place of intellectualism and being smart. I've got Yankees fans who sound the same way, but they're dumb about baseball now. Not them as people, but their team, their organization. And you think it's just me? I'm not making this stuff up. Let's go back to June 21st. Isn't it amazing when you keep receipts? That's the other thing about folks who don't realize they're a walking embarrassment to the thing they think they're celebrating about themselves. They talk about it. Here's Hal Steinbrenner. Uh, on June 21st, I think, is the date. Being just baffled, baffled, I tell you, that people like me or anywhere else, or I don't know, Yankees fans might be a little concerned about the direction of the organization. I'm a little confused this year, being, uh, you know, third week in June, why they're so upset. But they're upset, and that's going to get my attention, of course. 
And, you know, everybody just needs to know that we're, we're working hard on all fronts to get this, you know, to get this back on the rails. No, you're, you're confused. It's just, it's about everything. It's not, you're 20 and 30, Yankees fans, since that moment. But don't, don't turn me and say, oh, Hal's a good guy. But come on, it's, it's Cashman who runs this show. Cashman gets it. Cashman, after a very uninspiring trade deadline, came and went. After he looked at his roster and said, this collection of mediocrity. Have you watched Yankees games, by the way? I have more fun. It is more riveting to watch paint dry with my old neighbor. He's like 80, paints his house every, I don't know what he's doing. It's actually, it is more interesting. Here is Brian Cashman who, and I'm not, I don't have this locked down, but I think has a contract to be the Yankees GM for the rest of his life, like forever, talking after the trade deadline about how good this team's going to be. Uh, obviously, we're, we're in it to win it. So, you know, you know we stayed the course uh, because of that. Uh, you know, obviously, we've got Nestor coming back as well as Loisaga soon. And, and, you know, we know that we have, you know, we have better baseball in us although we haven't shown that and proven that. But we've got two more months to show that now. Yeah, 5-12 and 12 since that moment. If platitudes made for success, Brian Cashman might be more successful than I would be in that universe. That'd be amazing. Wow, you got the words, Brian. Way to go. Baseball is not a sport anymore where you can buy your way to success. And it hasn't really ever been a sport, unlike the NFL, certainly now with quarterbacks, unlike the NBA, unlike even soccer with Messi to a degree, where a single individual, a single great player changes the game. A single great player or a few of them, a Shohei Otani. If I'm Otani, by the way, stay the hell away from the Yankees. Not because it's on the East Coast, not because it's far from, from your homeland, not because it's not what you know, because they're a joke. They're, they're mediocre. They're not, they're not very good. They haven't won very often in this century. And the times they've won in this century was at the start of the century. They're, they don't know what they're doing. They don't have a farm system that's going to support you, and they're not going to make good decisions. One or two guys don't make a difference. They don't. You want them. You have to have them. But look at the Dodgers as they have limped along through injuries. I know they've got some big names, but those big names are surrounded by a well-run organization with a vision put together by a GM. He's really president of baseball operations who knows what he's doing. Garrett Cole is a stud. He is an absolute machine. He's going to probably be the Cy Young Award winner on a really bad baseball team. And that level of pitching is extraordinarily important, especially, and this won't apply to the Yankees, if you make the playoffs. Because certainly, there comes a point, if your guy's good enough, who takes the bump, that maybe he can will you to a few games and just some momentum. They've got some players. They're uninspiring. They're uninspired. They don't have a plan. They don't know what they're doing. They're poorly run. They're a bad baseball team. So this, I hope, is the last time coming off this losing streak for the Yankees in the embarrassing fashion that they've been losing and this sweep against the Red Sox. I hope it's the last time I ever have to talk about the Yankees being interesting again because they're not good and they're not fascinating and they're not worth your time. And I don't need the good, fine folks in Bristol, Connecticut, bored out of their minds because that's where they chose to live, shoving it down my throat. I'd rather watch almost any other team in America play baseball than the New York Yankees because the only thing worse than mediocrity and an old team that's uninspiring is that combination and somebody who thinks of the second coming of the greatest team in the history of the sport. They're not. It's over. It passed them by. The world goes fast. In 10 years, I won't even be here. I know, I get the joke, you wish I wasn't here now. Some AI thing will be filling in for Jim, right? Some machine will even look, it'll just be what it's doing. Things move quickly. The Yankees are still stuck in 1973. It ain't going to work. 
I'm not talking about them again, hopefully for the rest of my life, or at least until they fire Brian Cashman. U.S. Cellular knows how important your kids' relationship with technology is, and they have made it their mission to help them establish good digital habits early on. That's why they have partnered with Screen Sanity, a nonprofit dedicated to helping kids navigate the digital landscape. And for a smarter start to the school year, U.S. Cellular is also offering a free basic phone on new eligible lines, providing an alternative to a smartphone for kids. Start smarter with with U.S. Cellular. Visit uscellular.com slash built for us to find out more. Restrictions to apply. Visit uscellular.com for terms. All right, welcome back into the Jim Rome Show. Bill Ryder with you on this Monday. Jim's back Wednesday. 1-800-636-8686. RomanHaveATake.com at Jim Rome. JimRome.com. This dude is one of my favorite people that I work with. Will Brinson, CBS Sports. NFL guru has a podcast on the NFL that I think comes out four times a day or something like it's crazy how much content this guy produces what's up Mr. Brinson what's up Bill how you doing man happy Monday happy uh, we are Monday. you know we got like fake Monday night football tonight I think it's really exciting and uh we're like dangerously close to actual NFL football and, and definitely dangerously close to actual college football do you, I think my Wolfpack heads to UConn next Thursday. Do you bet on – will you put real money down on preseason NFL games? Are you that committed to a little gambling rush? Uh, yes. I haven't, I haven't been, like, aggressive about it this preseason, mostly because I've been – which and this is actually worse, I guess, but playing preseason DFS. Oh, which, wow. <laughs> you beautiful degenerate. That's amazing. That's yeah, it's, uh, it's, actually, it's actually really interesting. So, like – I mean, I highly suggest if anybody wants to do it or, or, you know, obviously CBS Sports is fantastic, but um, my buddies at, uh, like, uh, Evan Silva and Adam Levitan run EstablishTheRun.com, great spot for DFS-specific content, and they, they cover the preseason. And the thing about the preseason is, if you're, you know, if you, the gambling aspect of it is a little tougher because, in, like, all right, so, like, a good example of, like, why you would want to bet on the preseason is, like, Bengals-Packers week one of the preseason. Joe Burrow's banged up. And because Joe Burrow's hurt, you know that the Bengals aren't going to go out there. They're not going to run Jamar Chase and T. Higgins and, um, you know, Orlando Brown out there. They don't want to, like, get more guys injured on the first-team offense. The, the Packers, meanwhile, are incentivized to play Jordan Love and to have Jordan Love look good. And they blew, that, blew the Bengals out of the water. And, like, that was one where it's like that's a – there's, like, an actual edge to betting on the preseason because you know how teams are going to operate and how coaches are going to operate. I think um, – you know, as you sort of get deeper into it and with the, the change from four weeks to three weeks and with like, you know, with new coaches, you just don't know how they're always going to operate in terms of will they play their starters? How long will they play their starters, et cetera? Like Sean Payton played Russell Wilson four, four, you know, four drives in the first preseason game. So like it's, it's a little tricky. You have to be, you have to know when to pick your spots, but DFS is interesting because you, if you know the depth charts, if you know um, who's going to play and how much they're going to play and, and you can read into what the coaches say, you can, you can actually get an edge there. A beautiful, scary mind. That'd be the sequel, but start Will Brinson here on the Jim Rome <laughs> show. I love it. All right. Let me make a confession that'll lead to a question. And um, okay. Tom DiBenedetto knows this from when he produced I me. love confessions. This like is that. true. I, I'm an idiot, so I'm just going to – just full disclosure, every time I watch Hard Knocks, and I'm being serious, I'm being literal, I fall in love with the team. I think whatever idiot coaches the coach is a genius. I'm like, oh, that guy that couldn't throw a football last year, and that doesn't apply to Aaron Rodgers, obviously, is going to be amazing this year. I bet on the over. I lose my money. 
and then and then it rolls around again, and I try to steel myself against the the sort of the charm and the sway, and then I fall for it. And I am not an Aaron Rodgers guy. I didn't believe in the Jets. I'm aware the AFC is completely loaded. I know that Aaron Rodgers is 105 years old. I know the Jets' history. I've seen two of these stupid shows, and now I'm willing to put them down in my little like predictions as Super Bowl champions. Can you just like, <laughs> can you just give me a realistic range of what you think the Jets' season with Aaron Rodgers actually will look like? Yeah, I mean, I think I think the realistic range thing is. Excuse me, I had a cough. Um, a good uh, a good way to look at it too, where you like I I, I was going to do that this year, where I wrote an article for every team that was like, and maybe I'll still do it, but do it for divisions, but like best case, worst case. And I think that what you want to do is say, all right, what is the absolute floor for the Jets? And you know, the Jets are one of those teams out there where, if we're doing the ranges, I think you have to say that the realistic ceiling for the Jets is the Super Bowl. Aaron Rodgers has won a Super Bowl. He's a Hall of Fame quarterback. You know, he hadn't been to the Super Bowl in 10-plus years. Um, but, like, you know, he, he's won one. He's, he's been to plenty of championship games. They're, you know, this is an elite defense. They added Dalvin Cook to the, with Brees Holland and maybe Michael Carter and Van Knight, depending on how all that shakes out. So you've got, like, a strong running game. you got, you know, Garrett Wilson is there. You've got elite passing options to a degree. A lot of them from Green Bay you got a Hall of Fame quarterback, that defense. So the Super Bowl ceiling is legitimate. I mean, I, I think it's there. And, I look, you watch this hard knock season, you're like, this, these guys, you know, like the defensive coordinators yell, I'm like, yeah, sure, we stunk out there, boys, but that's our effing quarterback. Like, nobody else has got this guy. And you're like, oh, yeah, you're right, you're right. Let's go. I think the realist, yeah, but I think the realistic floor for the Jets is missing the playoffs. I mean, that's, that's just not that crazy. They could win. They could go 9-8 and eight or 10-7 and seven and miss the playoffs in the AFC. That's how loaded it is. You know, you can go – Take your top six quarterbacks, right? And go Josh Allen, Patrick Mahomes, Joe Burrow, Lamar Jackson, uh, Aaron Rodgers, Justin Herbert. That's just six off the top of our head that we I think we can all agree are in the top, you know, top ten, top fifteen of the league. And they're all in the AFC. And if all those guys make the playoffs, there's only one more spot, right? And that doesn't even include like the Steelers maybe popping up and being a problem. Um, it doesn't include Deshaun Watson and the Browns, who you know you're hearing good things out of camp. It doesn't include the Dolphins who were a playoff team last year, right? Uh, it doesn't include the Broncos on a bounce back. And it doesn't even include anybody from the AFC South, which has to take one of the playoff spots. So it's like, it is just so crowded in the AFC that the Jets, like, and, and then you have to ask yourself, all right, how do we get to this floor for the Jets? I think to me, it's very easy. And it's via the offensive line. I mean, Aaron Rodgers out here, like picking up, picking on dudes on the offensive line, like via hard knocks, like getting guys fired. And, you know, he, he's also, um, Someone who I, I think you know can play behind a questionable offensive line, but dude, Bill, when was the last time he had a bad offensive line? You know, we're talking about oh, this is the best defense Rodgers had since 2010 or 2011, like whatever it is. That's fine, but this is also like maybe the worst offensive line he's had in a long time. Remember, like uh, Bakhtiari, TJ Lang, uh, all those guys. You know, they, they they've had a loaded offensive line in Green Bay for a long time and a good run game. They should have a good run game in, in, in New York, but, like, what if Makai Becton fails? And what if Dwayne Brown, who's really old, gets hurt? And then all of a sudden, you, you know, maybe you have to, like, move Elijah Barrett Tucker on the left. Like, there's so many different ways that this offensive line could not succeed. That it, And if it does, I, I think that, you know, people are just sort of glossing over the fact that, you know, any NFL team's offensive line goes to crap. And that team can miss the playoffs like that. Like, it could happen to the Bills. It could happen to the Chiefs. You know, the Chiefs maybe overcome it a little bit, but you know, like you, your offensive line struggles and your offense is going to struggle. And so I think that sort of, to me, is the path where this team goes 
you know, could be anywhere from like seven wins to ten wins and still miss the playoffs. Will Brinson here on the Jim Rome Show. I'm Bill Ryder filling in for, for Jim. All right, Will, so, so take out the Chiefs, take out the Bengals, take out the Bills, take out the Jets. Is there an AFC team, and I don't even mean a, a dark horse, just a team that's not one of those teams that you think have a legitimate chance if things break the right way to come out of the AFC and be capable of going to a Super Bowl this year? Yeah, and I'm going to feel stupid in like three months of saying <laughs> this, but it's the Jaguars. I love it. Um, yeah, hey, look, here's the, here's, the, here's the path, as Ryan Wilson likes to say on the Pick 6 podcast. Um, you have all those quarterbacks I mentioned, right? Like if you go and look at the top the top – 10 or top 10 to 15, uh, like in terms of odds for MVP, you'll see Josh Allen and Aaron Rodgers, same division. You'll see Patrick Mahomes and Justin Herbert, same division. You will see Joe Burrow and Lamar Jackson, same division. And you will see, excuse me, you will see Trevor Lawrence with no one else from his division. The next closest guy is Ryan Tannehill at 125 to 1. And I think he's tied with like, like Anthony Richardson's even further down the line, like Derrick Henry's right there. I mean, there's just. Like, the, the Titans, Colts, or Texans could all become a problem in that division. More than likely, though, the Jaguars – the Jaguars have – I think the Jaguars have the easiest path out of all the AFC teams to the number one overall seed in the AFC because of the division they're in, the schedule they have, and you have a second-year quarterback in this Doug Peterson system in Trevor Lawrence who's a legitimate MVP candidate. Pete Prisco's picking to win MVP. Um, you know, you have – now you have Tate basically looks great. He's been fantastic in the preseason to add to Travis Etienne. You know, what we think will be a decent enough offensive line. There's certainly questions there. And the defense might be a problem, but that's only going to mean, like, more likely that Trevor Lawrence is chunking the ball over the place and putting up big stats. If the defense takes a step forward – this team could get the number one seed in the AFC. You get that by, you just got to win two playoff games. And I know that that's you know, easier said than done. Maybe you draw a, a decent opponent in the first round because you got the lowest seed, right? And then maybe you just beat the Chiefs at home and get, get lucky and take down Patrick Mahomes or, or take down Josh Allen, whatever it is. There's definitely a path to the Jaguars being that sleeper to make that, to make that uh, Super Bowl run. All right, Brenton, I know you got to run. Last quick one for you. As good as the AFC is, the NFC, at least on paper, maybe things will change does not look as loaded as stacked. Outside of the Niners, outside of the Eagles, are there a few teams that you think, again, can be really good, really competitive, maybe surprising on that side of the equation? Yeah, I mean, I'll take the free layup there and say the Cowboys, too. You probably would include – I mean, I think it's fair yeah, to include Yeah, I'm such a Cowboy yeah, doubter. Exactly. I'm like muscle memory. to th- Yes, but I guess I'm also yeah. at winning playoff games. Yeah, so I mean, I think like so in that, in given, I think those are the three teams, right, that, that everybody considers to be good. So you sort of you rule out those teams. You say, all right, I mean, like who's left? I mean, the Lions. Like I know we're like the same thing with the Jags and the Jets, right? We're conditioned to say this team is going to suck because they've sucked for a long time. You watch this team, and I mean, like they are low. They're but their offensive line. And this, you know, again, offensive line, you know, really important, Bill, right? I mean, like, they have an offensive line that has consistency. It has talent. I believe every – I think like they have one pick that's not a first-round pick on that offensive line, maybe a third, maybe one third-rounder. It's a really deep offensive line, really talented. They're going to keep Jared Goff upright. They had David Montgomery. You bring in Jameer Gibson to the draft. And so that's that pairing, that sort of, uh, you know, pl- uh, plot, more plotter style with the, with the receiving back who can kind of be an air back and, and make big plays, and, and, and Gibbs has shown that. 
And then, you know, we, we criticize him for drafting a middle linebacker and, and Jack, or an you know, off-ball linebacker, Jack Campbell, and then you get, you know, a, a, a running back and Jameer Gibbs into your first-round pick. And it's fair to criticize it because that's not something that analytics and, and really modern common football sense tell us to do, right, to draft those positions. But those positions can help right away. It can help the Lions right away. Brian Branch, a rookie, uh, who could end up moving Chelsea Gardner-Johnson to safety as a result, like in a, in a good way, um, has been fantastic, hard-hitting. These guys just fit what Dan Campbell wants to do. And if you know, Jared Goff stays healthy, I think that the Lions are, are going to be a legitimate threat to, to win the NFC. I love the Lions-Jaguars like Super Bowl exactly. It's like 250 to 1, right? And then like you get that's eternal bragging rights over everyone in your entire <laughs> life. If, if, I might just pick Jaguars-Lions Super Bowl just to, just to be like – just to get a, like a, an insane amount of preseason attention <laughs> where I try and hype this up before it crashes into like the side of a, you know, the side of a plateau or something. <laughs> Brinson, you're the best, buddy. Uh, you enjoy the, these fleeting, beautiful days of preseason daily fantasy football gambling, and uh, I'll talk to you again soon, pal. Thanks for, uh, thanks for making time here on the Jim Rome Show. Hey, anytime, Bill. See you, buddy. See you, bud. Uh, Brinson, Will Brinson on the show. I don't think Brinson got my joke, though, about the Cowboys. I know they're good on paper. Last I checked, A, they're still the Cowboys, and B, Dak Prescott is still their quarterback. Is Dak Prescott like the best, most confident-seeming, most celebrated version of Kirk Cousins you've ever seen or, or what? Like, I know the guy can throw a football. I also know what he does in the playoffs. I, no, I don't believe it. I hate the term America's team. All right, let's – um, we got a little – uh. A little breaking news on on the uh, drama that is Harden versus Maury, the former MVP versus his big-time supporter. We'll get into that. And I've got a uh, old-school movie reference for college football. That's all coming up on the Jim Rome Show. Discover credit cards do something pretty awesome. At the end of your first year, they automatically double all the cash back that you've earned. That's right. Everything you have earned doubled. All the cash back from eating at your favorite restaurant doubled. All the cash back from that trip where you sort of learned to snowboard also doubled. And the best part, you don't have to do anything ridiculous to get it. Discover does it automatically. Seriously, though, see terms and check it out for yourself at discover.com slash match. All right, welcome back into the show. Bill Ryder filling in for Jim. Jim is back a couple days on Wednesday. You can watch us, CBS Sports Network, and listen on CBS Sports Radio the free Odyssey app, jimrome.com. It's time to ask the pros, review the clones, get to ask us a question brought to you by O'Reilly Auto Parts. Go to cbssportsradio.com backslash ask the pros and submit your question. Be listening later in the show when we might answer your question. Think O'Reilly Auto Parts for all your car care needs. Get the parts and service you need fast from the professional parts people at O'Reilly Auto Parts. I was, um, my wife, Lori, Likes to watch old movies. I don't know why. And I guess because Hurricane Hillary was coming in, which became a tropical storm. And at least here, things are fine. Uh, she decided she wanted to watch that American classic, The Citizen Kane of the Aughts, 2012. Now, if you've never seen this movie, if you've forgotten it, it came out in 2009. Uh, John Cusack, I think in, a, in the last role he was ever cast in for whatever reason, is part of a, a group of people where it's discovered the Mayans... Remember this? Got it right. The world's going to end in 2012, and literally the entire world gets destroyed, but a few people end up on arcs. And so the, the general concept of it is that you have a bunch of rich people and powerful people who figure out what is happening. They secretly build arcs so the rich, powerful people can get away. Literally everybody else crumbles and falls into the earth, and the most horrific scenes of just math destruction and death you've ever seen on a movie 
screen. But John Cusack, who's a writer, who's also a limo driver, but his buddy is the guy that took his wife, but he doesn't make it, can fly a plane, and they make it and they survive. And, and I was watching this, and do you ever watch something and in retrospect you realize it predicted a future event? For example, the big Lebowski actually predicts the rise of like the neocon political, <laughs> political movement in the Iraq war. I'm being serious. All right. This predicted college football and what begins in five days. Because where we are, see, in college football, which begins in a few days, is the very start of the Mayan experience. All the rich and powerful people have built their arcs. It's called the SEC and the Big Ten. Remember, there's a broken arc in John Cusack's movie that may or may not make it. I guess that would be the Big 12. The Pac-4 is already falling apart. And literally in the movie, the, the West Coast just like falls away. And other, everyone else is just chilling. Like, are, shouldn't... The West Coast just fell into the ocean. Everyone's gone. Shouldn't you all be freaking out in Washington? Now we're good. That's kind of what's going on in college football. So I'm going to enjoy it. I talk about it a lot on the show that I do here on CBS Sports Radio from 10 to noon Eastern. I know Jim will as well. But just remember, this is the peacetime before the destruction, and there's just a couple arcs left, and the rich, powerful people, the SEC and the Big Ten, run everything. It's all going to change. This is the last year. All right, we got some emails. By the way, if you want to reach out, 1-800-636-8686. I had a little... uh. Will Brinson paused there, but I wasn't I wasn't coughing. Uh, Rome at Habitake.com, at Jim Rome, JimRome.com. Dear Bill, did you say that Yankees fans are delusional? Hold our beer. Sincerely, New York Knicks, Dallas Cowboys, Texas football, and Notre Dame football fans, Paul and Albany. There's a lot of talk out there that maybe Texas football is going to be good again this year. It's not like the Dallas Cowboys. It's Again, this is—and this is—you're right. This is what we talked about at the start of the show. This— uh. This delusion of the past, and you think you're entitled to something, that it's inevitable. When you grow, when you grow accustomed to something, I knew a guy in the media business, big, big figure, who, who went crazy. He used to say that, that success, no, I'm sorry, criticism was the background music to his success. And the problem is, when you think that the noise that you've always heard just means you're predestined to be great, you start to miss the warning signs. See Nebraska football, and I'm not making funny Nebraska fans, I'm from Iowa, bunch of family from Nebraska, but sometimes you don't come back from the brink. Bill, we think Brian Cashman is a great and innovative in his thinking and leadership of the Yankees organization. Regards, Blockbuster. That is, that's me clapping. That is phenomenal. Eric in Castle Rock. And yo, Bill, Cashman sounds like every single New York sports fan they think their teams are going to be good because they're from New York. Meanwhile, they haven't won anything in a couple of decades. Loudmouth bleep talkers for no reason. All your teams suck and will never win anything. Uh, Dino in Vegas trying to tell us how he really feels. Like, I, By the way, full disclosure, my mom is from Jersey, which is she's from the part of Jersey just, yeah, chalk nose, just across from the city. I lived in New York City when I got hired by CBS Sports Radio for a couple of years. I love New York City. I, it's an amazing place, and I really have nothing against any of these teams, including the Yankees, other than their fans when I got to know them. But the irony is their fans are also some of the sweetest people on the face of the earth, like Stu Kovacs. I think he's the guy pushing buttons in New York City right now for this show. Stu is one of the sweetest people I've ever met. But when he talks about the Yankees, everyone wants to punch him in the face. It's just, it is a, it's just a weird ju- – and I don't, Stu. I would never hurt you, but it's just a weird juxtaposition. It's a weird, weird deal. All right. Uh, little news here from Shams. On, can we still call it Twitter on the Jim Rome Show? Do I have to call it the new thing? Call it whatever I want. Thank God. As, this is from, uh, from Shams. As part of NBA's probe into his liar comment, remember James Harden 
called Daryl Morey a liar in China a week or two ago, and that implied the idea maybe there was a side deal. As part of NBA probe into his liar comment, James Harden told league investigators he was referring to Daryl Morey telling Harden he will trade him quickly following the $35.6 million opt-in for the 2023-24 season. Per sources, the 76ers' stance now is they expect to keep Harden. So if you've forgotten this, or if you want to be reminded, just let me just set up a little context. I know Jim has talked about it. I've talked about it. Everybody's talked about it. But this is almost like your, this is your work spouse. It's almost your spouse doing this at a dinner party. There aren't many people, and I cover the NBA full-time when not doing radio, there are not many people in the NBA who hold James Harden in high regard, largely because it turns out he now is not very good at basketball. That's the main reason. Now, did he have like 10.2 assists per game or whatever it was last year? Yes. Is it also true that he has not been successful in the NBA postseason checks notes ever? It is also true. And it's true that he's gotten coaches fired. He had Kevin McHale come out the other day and say that Harden showed up to camp 20 years ago fat and got him, got him let go on purpose. This is Harden, a guy who doesn't have supporters, who has made enemies, who has let teams down, and he opted in to his contract. Keyword being opt. Someone should tell him it stands for option. And keyword being in, as Chalk said earlier, someone should tell him it stands for in, as in you're going to stay in the organization of the Sixers. The hypocrisy is out of control, but in case you've forgotten, when James Harden was in China selling shoes, good for you, make your money, do your thing, this is the bomb, this is the character attack, this is the tactic he took against Daryl Morey, who runs basketball operations for the Sixers, and as far as I know, is literally, until recently, I would imagine, the only person in the NBA that I could certainly get a hold of who would be willing to say anything nice about James Harden, the basketball player. Daryl Morey is a liar. And I will never be a part of an organization on any sport. Let me say that again. Daryl Morey is a liar, and I will never be a part of an organization that he's a part of. Let me tell you what's going on. And by the way, I like James Harden on like a just personal interaction level. He would not know me from Adam. I don't think if he met me. Because he's got a lot of reporters, right? I even have the sports writer look going. I got the, the shirt, the sports coat. It's, it's required when you go to a game. A lot of folks are asking James Harden questions over the course of his career. I've done some interviews with him one-on-one. I like him. This, this isn't a personal attack. There are people that I hate. I hate you, Jay Cutler. Wherever you are, Jay, I hate you. I don't know you. I hate you. I'm so glad you're not a, a active NFL player anymore. I didn't want to call you a quarterback. It just didn't feel right. I know this position you played. But James Harden is a bit of a bum when it comes to making teams better. And his ability to be an impact player, I think most would agree, has gone away. And that means the market, the value for his services, the desire of teams to pay him money is no longer in existence. Now, for, for $8 million a year or $10 million a year or what feels like a discount, would people take a gamble on betting that upside is there, on getting some of that regular season offensive excellence? And it's not like the guy's actually awful. Yeah, yeah, people might. Will they pay him a max contract offer now that he's well into his 30s and he has shown no ability, even when he was younger, to perform at the highest level in the postseason? No, they won't. That is why he opted into this contract. Daryl Morey, who runs the front office for the Sixers, he's the GM Plus. I think his title is, I don't know if he's president or what the hell he is. He is the one guy who wanted Harden, he is the president, to be there. He's the one guy who had supported James Harden. And what Harden is doing, along with his agent, who's a relatively new agent for, for James Harden, 
is throwing a fit. Not because Daryl Morey lied about anything. I don't believe that for a second. And the Sixers sources there strenuously, as you would imagine, push back on that. Now that there was a side deal, and that's the implication, by the way, and that's what Shams is basically saying the NBA is looking into, that they're like, just just take, because Harden took a pay cut last year. T- take a pay cut and we'll pay you later. Now, Harden can't admit to that even if that were the case because he would also be in violation. You're not allowed to do that. But you don't give side deals to players who aren't very valuable. You give side deals to players who are if you're going to break those rules. James Harden is not good enough to be worthy of a side deal. That's the point. What's going on is James Harden woke up one day and realized that getting coaches fired and forcing his way out of Houston and then forcing his way out of Brooklyn and then trying to force his way out of Philly and missing 21 straight three-point shots in a critical playoff game and never being able to close games and forgetting how to shoot and taking off entire stretches of games because he was nervous and having whatever the hell was going on in his brain take over and make it so he didn't give any effort in stress-critical, high-leverage playoff moments. All those things in combination with being out of shape and a little bit older and the game moving on and other plays coming to the league means... James Harden, you're not the star you used to be. That sucks. Time comes for everybody. Eventually, the homecoming queen is not the bell of the bull. Eventually, your youth goes away. Eventually, your place as a game-changing, highly celebrated, do-what-you-want-the-rules-don't-apply-to-you superstar athlete, if that's the tact you take, if you're that talented, it goes away. What Harden is revolting against... What Harden is screaming against, the, the he's a liar, he lied to me, I'm so angry. And then I don't know if you saw this other really awkward interview. Some poor TV reporter last week was like, do you think that things can be repaired? And Harden just gave a no. What's going on is not that Daryl Morey lied to James Harden. It's not that James Harden has a remarkable market and he just wants to tap into it. It's not even that the Clippers are desperate. That's where he wants to go to have his services. If they were, they would pay the price that Morey wants. The problem is James Harden has figured out what everybody figures out. That eventually the game passes you by. That eventually you can't do what you used to be able to do. That eventually you're just not the star that you were. Hell, Tom Brady is unretired and retired several times as a result. We've seen this in athletes. The problem for Harden is he shouldn't be at this point already. He should have time. He should be able to bend the game to his will like he used to. And he can't because he didn't put in the effort. He didn't take care of his body. He didn't take advantage of those moments when they were in front of him as a playoff player. He is a guy. He is a player. He is a dude who is a shell of himself, and that is not Daryl Morey's fault, that it was not Steve Nash's fault, that was not the fault of the people in Brooklyn, and it's not the fault of the other 29 general managers who largely look at James Harden, especially now that he's got a $36 million contract that he picked up, and say, not good enough. You know whose fault that is? That's James Harden's fault. If anybody lied to James Harden, it's James Harden, and maybe his agent. When you lie to yourself, when you delude yourself, when you don't take advantage of your opportunities, they go away. Welcome to reality, bro. Good night now!